everyone and welcome. It is episode number five of the MTAC More Than a Classroom podcast with Mr. B. We have our first guest on today. Braden, say hello to the people. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Braden Carter. I'm happy to be here. So today's episode, as you can see by the title and the description, is we're talking athletics. Now, this is something that the two of us know a lot about. I know I played football, baseball, basketball going up through school. Uh, what sports did you play? Growing up, growing up, I played just about everything I could. I played football; that was the main sport. I played basketball up until my freshman year of high school. Did wrestling until my sophomore year of high school, uh, and then I did track and field all the way up until I was a freshman. I had the only two sports I, or only three sports I think that I didn't play were golf, baseball, and soccer. Nice. Um, and you, you're a Florida boy, right? So that was kind of Florida, and then we'll talk about the time in Texas. Is that right? Louisiana. I live in Florida Louisiana. now, but I grew That's up in right. Louisiana and Texas. Okay. So so that you'll come from the perspective of Louisiana, Texas. I'll come from the I'll come the from main the main Florida. side. Yeah. And I, I actually didn't even play sports once I was in Florida because uh I broke my tailbone. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit, the injury. I didn't give that to you on the rundown and I forgot about it, but I'll tell that story because it's kind of fun and, and a little gross. It's okay. All right, so let's start. Let's start from a teacher's perspective with athletics, right? Uh, so, number one is how do we as teachers support student uh, support students, right? Because a lot of times it's like oh, I want to support my students out of the classroom, but I'm not really sure how. And w what's funny enough about this is I think just being a presence is huge. I know that I had a student. Funny enough, his name was Braden. Um, that he played travel baseball and he used to have his tur tournaments on uh, Sunday mornings. So I used to go, um, myself and my now wife would go and just sit in the stands and cheer and chat up with the parents and stuff. I think just being a presence at sporting events, if you're able to, um, whether it's sports, clubs, culinary competitions, um, math competitions, they can be school-based, but I think just being a presence as, as a teacher is, is huge. What do you think? Man, I think that means the world to a lot of, a lot of kids, especially if you come from a background where you don't really have much, your only support system is the school. I'll never forget the day I was in middle school. I went to Academy, uh, Calvary Baptist Academy in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, so it's a school where, you know, you start from kindergarten, you can be there all the way up until you graduate. I had a teacher who I probably had the first semester of my third year, had a three, three hours a day. I don't know if she came <laughs> up to me the Friday morning after a Thursday night football game. And she told me how well I played. Now that's I cool. Got a lot of praise growing up, but to hear from a teacher meant so much more to me. And it was able to let me connect with that teacher even more. And I have a great bond with that teacher. I have a great bond with, a lot of the teachers that I had at that school. And I think that just means to me, it meant the world. I think it means the world to a lot of the kids. Yeah. And, and for us, you know, for teachers that might just be taking an hour and a half, two hours to go and, and watch a game, even if the kid isn't playing. Right. But there's something, if you think you're, you're playing basketball, right. And all of a sudden you look up and you've got a teacher that you've only seen them in your, English class, especially if they're a teacher that maybe you're not, you don't have a great relationship with already, them just showing up. I feel like that makes us as students want to do better as well in class, right? 
Oh, definitely, because the cool thing about sports is it's that bridge between school and real life, the outside yeah. world. So to see someone that you only normally see in the classroom out in that gymnasium or on that football field, that baseball tra- that baseball field, and they're watching you, even if they're not playing, you know, you're getting more of a sense of humanity with the teacher. Yeah, they're not and just – we, we talked about that a couple episodes ago is how many times do we think of teachers as just – test givers and grade givers, right? Seeing, seeing your teacher at the supermarket is just weird. <laughs> yeah. You almost kind of want to allowing them to be human is, is, is really great. Uh, so ne- next up I've got, can you be an effective coach and teacher? This is something that I, I had a little bit of coaching experience before I became a teacher. When I was in college, I liked volunteering to do little league baseball and, you know, peewee football and stuff like that but I had never been a a head coach of a structured environment. And then when I got to my current school, they asked if I wanted to coach the girls basketball team. So I had never coached any female sport, number one. And number two, I had, they knew that I played basketball and just said, Hey, do you want to do this? We'll give you a stipend. And I, I learned a lot about myself as a coach and also, just how kind of—I I don't want to cuss, but I, I guess you know, badass ain't, ain't a swear, right? Like how just how tough those girls play, and and how much how rewarding it is to see, um, to see them flourish as athletes and as people. Now, can you have that balance, right? Can you have that balance of being a teacher and a coach? Some people, it's overwhelming, but. How many of our coaches in high school were also our teachers? I mean, I think all of my high school coaches were also teachers. What about you? I would say that I, I had one history teacher who was part it's of the always offensive history. line. Yeah, he was part <laughs> of the offensive line uh, coaching staff. There was only three offensive line coach, one being the head coach. Uh, but he, he was also the boys and female soccer coach as well. So – not a lot of actual teachers being coaches other than like PE teachers, that kind of stuff. A lot of them were married to the teachers though. I will say that. Okay. Our, our defensive coordinator was actually married to my sophomore English teacher. Interesting. Well, I, I can see how they'll, they'll actually, I can see why a lot of teachers marry other teachers. I mean, my wife's a teacher. She's another music teacher. We're, you know, living the dream, two music teachers. We don't get, we ain't got much money, but. <laughs> we know how to sing and play instruments. So, so what would you say about someone that maybe they are a successful coach and they want to get into teaching? I think the two coincide and I feel like a effective coach is also a very effective teacher. Um, Cause there is certainly a gap when it comes to education versus sports. But at the end of the day, you are effectively relaying information to somebody and trying to get that information to stick with them as best as possible. So I think it they almost coincide with each other. I think the best coaches are also sometimes the best teachers. Now I'm not saying that you should get, you know, your head football coach in the classroom trying to teach physics. That's not, that's not how that works. But I feel like for the most part, a good, a good teacher is also a good coach. That Agreed. I, like like you said, I think it goes hand in hand, right? It just depends on what your passions are. 
And sometimes you find someone that has a huge passion for history and also for sports. I think that's why the cliche is there. It feels like there's always a, a male history teacher that's also the baseball coach or football coach or whatever it may be. Because I think that a lot of the quote unquote, you know, old school macho men, they're also the the World War II buffs and they're really into aviation, but they also are the man's man. Like you said, an offensive line coach, a hockey coach, whatever it may be. So I think teaching and coaching are one in the same. It's just different passions. So the last thing that I have for teachers, because we're going to talk a lot more this episode through the student and parent perspective, because I think it's just we talked about it right at the top of the show. I think being a presence as a teacher is is the the best thing you can do for kids. Now, the the negative that comes along with playing sports and having students that are going to play sports is students are going to end up inevitably missing class, right? So what do we do as teachers when students are missing our classes? They're going to be missing our classes. I know that, for example, I have a student who a couple years ago, uh, she was a student of mine and she was on the USA, like 12 and under softball team. So all of a sudden she would tell me on a Thursday, hey, I'm going to be gone all next week. And I'm like, why? She's like, oh, I'm out to California. We're scrimming the Japan team. Like, well, number one, that's awesome. <laughs> but number two, okay, you're going to be missing my class and we're, we're going to be missing some really important stuff, right? So what are some things that you remember, if anything, and I know that you got some experience teaching as well, when kids are going to be missing class, what kind of procedures should they be going through to make sure that they can be successful? And how can teachers make that easier on the students? I want to first off say I was very blessed with uh, having majority of my class when I was when I was teaching at Fort Walton Beach that it was primarily football kids. I had one girl's softball and I think I had one girl's weightlifter or powerlifter on my team. I think the biggest thing is you want communication. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when it comes to travel leagues, AAU, all that kind of stuff, that that comes more on the side of you need to get with the parents. Because for the most part, you're not going to be able to find that coach. You know what I mean? It's going to be hard to find that travel AAU coach. It's going to be easier to find your kid's parent. It's true. So I would say that the best thing to do is communication is key. You want to make sure that your kids are communicating with their coaches. The coaches are also communicating with the teachers, if possible, uh, in the high school setting and anything else, travel league. You just gotta want to make sure that you, as a parent, are relaying that information to the the kid to make sure that they're relaying that information to the teachers, just so yeah. that you can reach that ground level on hey, you're gonna miss ten days of class because of this tournament. We need to make sure that we get you caught up by the time you come back, or get you on pace to get caught up when you do return. Yeah, agreed. I mean, the the word you you hit it nail on the head, right? It's communication. It's building that relationship, not only with your students, but with the parents of those students, because it's hard for a kid to go up. If I'm thinking, you know, you're an eighth, you're an eighth grader, you're 13 years old. It's terrifying to go up to your teacher and say, hey, I'm going to miss our semester exam because I'm going to be out of town playing in in a basketball tournament or at a dance competition, 
it, it's really intimidating for kids to do that. So a lot of times they just say nothing. And so having a parent that will be proactive and, and emailing the teacher and letting it be known to the parents and the students, I'd rather that even though, yes, it could be inconvenient, I'd rather you tell me than just give me nothing. I think that's super important. Be, and then just be shell-shocked when they're gone for that long. And when they come back, got to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And to, like just being proactive, man, just send out that email as soon as you get it. I, I have that conversation with kids. Oh, I'm going to be gone. It could be a vacation, right? Oh, I'm going to be on a cruise. When? Tomorrow. Well, you, I know you must have booked this cruise like eight months ago. Why didn't I know about this at the beginning of the year? We could have moved our event because you're a really important member of this group. Um, and and this, this ties in, so we're going to jump over to some student perspective stuff. So number one, what, what does it mean to you to be a student athlete? What does that term mean to you? I'd have to say that being a student athlete means, again, first part, being a student, you got to keep up with your grades. Now, that, that could be daunting because to a lot of people, high school or school in itself doesn't seem that fun. And when stuff isn't fun, you don't really feel as motivated to do to do it. And out of but, curiosity, when you were in high school, what was your minimum GPA that you had to keep? Oh, my parents were very strict. I was in all honors. I had to coast with at least a B in every class. So I graduated high school with a 3.7. Okay. So even even though the school rule might have been a 2.0 or a 2.5 or 2.25, your, your, your parents were very, were very like, nah, we're not going to go with the minimum. We're, you have we're getting to see, on you. They're taking away everything, man. Your phone, your video games, your computer. It's... It, it, until well, and you, and you have two brothers be. that are very close to you in age, right? The twins. Two years younger. Yeah. So you had two years of overlap in high school, too, where <laughs> all three of you guys were, were student athletes at the same time. Were the expectations the same for all three of you? Do you feel? I think when it came to grade point average, um, I, since I was, again, in those advanced placement classes, they probably were a little bit harsher on me versus the twins because they saw that aptitude. Cause my dad was pretty big on, Hey, you know, you have this big frame, but you also have a decent mind. We kind of want to get both of those going. So they kind of treated the uh, education part a little bit harder on me than they did the twins. Yeah. And we were talking a little off stream about, because football was your primary sport. That was something that was very promising for you. And, and by the time you were a sophomore in high school, you had the frame, right? What would you say you're playing? What, what do you, playing you say your height and weight? Oh, I mean, I was six foot five, 270 pounds by the time I was a sophomore. So it's prototypical size. And I'm sure that your parents were sitting there thinking, man, if we can, if we can make sure that he's staying healthy and, and making all the gains at, uh, academically, you know, sky's the limit at that point for sure. Um, I, I agree with the student athlete, right? We talk about that a lot. You, a lot of us that played sports, we heard, you know, you're a student athlete, not an athlete student. And in Maine, it was very, very cut and dry. I mean, you had to have a 2.5. If you didn't have your 2.5, you weren't playing. It didn't matter. And every coach was on board. Now it, the sports weren't as uh competitive, as they are down here in Florida. But once I moved down here to Florida after I got hurt, um, I had a lot of friends that played in the sports because I was still friends with a bunch of 
a bunch of those kids and a lot of them put the athlete first. And I think you, you do have some coaches that are, are guilty of enabling, trying to ask other teachers at the school if they can get special, special treatment, get the grades bumped up. You know, you got a big game coming up this Friday. We could really use them, everything like that. Did you see anything along those lines as far as special treatment at your school? Like I said, I mean, you played at an academy. Let's kind of jump forward. Let's jump forward because you you had a very, you have a very unique perspective, right? Where you you actually, your family moved to put you in the best position possible for football specifically, right? Yes. So for, it's a little bit of a difficult, uh, unique is probably the best way to explain it. Because at the five years that I went to that school, I can only name of one person that I knew was getting special treatment. That and that's because I was I had classes with them. And that was our quarterback Shea Patterson. Mm-hmm. Um, I only saw him in our history class, and every other class I had with him, I never saw him a day in my life. So, when it comes to special treatment. That was definitely something that happened, but it was a very unique case because at the time, Shea was this big name. He was probably the biggest thing at that school. I mean, yeah, and he ended up going to Michigan, started for three years, right? I mean... (laughs) Went to Ole Miss first. That's right. He beat out someone that we actually played our junior year in the the, uh, state championship. They were both committed to Ole Miss, and by the time Shea went to Ole Miss, that man, his name is Jason Perlin... He he's, he had to transfer. He didn't transfer. He actually just swept, uh, swat, switched positions to receiver. Hmm. I, d- I did not that know was... that because I, I knew Shea from Michigan, obviously, but I I wasn't too too into college football at the time because college football in Maine was not a was not a huge deal because we weren't competitive in anything. I mean, the University of Maine is not going to win anything. Boston College was the closest thing we had, and they weren't exactly great. And they're they not weren't coming, Alabama. They're not up front <laughs> in line for the BCS. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. So, yeah, I, I do see kids sometimes at the middle school level. It doesn't really happen with the special treatment. But I will say some some coaches might not ask for special treatment, but they also aren't the greatest sometimes with keeping up with grades. Now it really depends on the coach. I know that there's the the boys basketball coach at my school. He has been since I started there. He is always on them. If I have a boy that is playing, he comes in, they come in every single week with a behavior check and a grades check. And it's not even just GPA. If their grades just dipped a bunch, if they did really poorly, even in one class for that week, they're sitting the first half of that game, even if they have the GPA. And holding kids to those standards, I think, is important because it teaches us life skills. Yeah, and exactly. If you can't meet this standard, you can't do this. Right. And what's that saying to the teachers, right? If we're making special treatment for you on the football field, then are we just expecting that in the classroom as well? Because the answer is probably yes. If students are being taught that everything will get handed to them, they're not going to build that work ethic and learn to grind. And if they make it to that next level, if they, you know, coming from high school to college, if they make it to that next level and they just coasted off their athletic ability, none of their actual, I mean, because being able to do your work, having good grades in school, that at least shows people that you did what you were supposed to do. 
and that you do you you can at least follow direction, right? Yeah. Which shows a lot more than just being able to run the ball well or being able to throw a ball or you know strike the ball or being a good swimmer, a good dancer. It shows that you're at least dedicated to more than just your athletic craft. Yeah, and th- this brings me to my next point. So if, if you're a student and you are an average player, right, a 99% of people playing middle and high school sports are going to be average players. We're talking about the people that even if they go to college to play, even the people that go to D1, right, they have full ride scholarships. You talked, you know, swimming, maybe you are the you're the Michael Phelps of your high school. And then all of a sudden you go in and you're just, you're just a, a regular person. Everyone at D one was a superstar at their high school. And so getting a little bit of that humble pie, all of a sudden you're way more average than you thought you were in, in 2023. What do we think the best route is to take for an average player going into college setting? Because there's different there's different things you can do. You can try to walk on at a sport. Certain colleges might have a tryout system. Maybe you go the JUCO route and you try to transfer into a bigger school after a year or two. Do you think going, you look at basketball players, they can go overseas and play semi-pro ball for two years and then try to use that experience. What would you recommend to someone that, let's assume that they can get into a big college to play, but not to play sports. They would have to walk on if they wanted to go to a big time college or yeah. So I'll actually use myself as an example, because going back to that big frame, I had a lot of promises going in. Well, came to my senior year, didn't have, but maybe a handful of, of scholarships and they weren't to some of the biggest schools. Now, academically, again, going back to that seven, that seven point or that 3.7 GPA, I had a 28 on the ACT, I could have got into a lot of schools in my, you know, in Louisiana, maybe just shy of LSU because of their standards and the amount of money that would have to be paid to do it. But uh, as for a walk-on, if I really wanted to at that time, I could have done it. I think the best thing that you can do is find out what suits you the best. Because the thing that I did was I took, I went to the school that gave me the most money. They gave me the full ride. And you wanted to make well, sure you weren't putting your family under financially to send you in case it didn't pan out. And it didn't pan out. I was out at the school for two years. Uh, there wasn't a program that I really felt comfortable with. I ended up switching my majors three times. That's how I ended up becoming an education major. It just did not pan out. So you, you really got to make sure that one, you research the school that you're going to, regardless of where you go, it's academic it's it's a full ride scholarship for sports. You want to make sure that you're going to a school that aligns best for what you're trying to do in your future. Not so much more about what's what school you're going to get the most playing time in or what school's going to, you know, probably get you the best look. You you want to do what's best for yourself and you really want to find out what school is going to do the most for you and you really want to go to a school that you know you're going to stay there for 4 years. And you're going to, one, make friends, make those uh, connections that you're supposed to make in college, and really just set yourself up for your adult years, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and I think if you're, if you're someone that – we'll use football as an example because we've been talking a lot about it, right? So let's say you get 
an offer from Alabama, but they're not going to give you any money and they're not guaranteed to give you any playing time for at least two years. They're talking about, hey, you're probably going to redshirt for a year. Then you're probably going to have to sit because this guy that's in front of you is really, really good. You have you have to talk. You have to think, is Alabama just going to overpromise and under deliver? Because guess what? They have a bunch of people that are really, really talented. And for Alabama, it might be worth it to promise you that you're going to play after two years just to keep you off the roster of a school that could be someone that could play against you and end up beating you in the long run. So in my opinion, I think playing time is you, you want to go somewhere that is the best possible school where you're going to play. I, I think playing time is the best the thing that you can get. Some people would argue, hey, you go to you go to um, Stanford, you know, let's say you're you're a California kid and you're going to you're going to go to Stanford to learn under the best coaches and the best program for one year. And then you're going to transfer out and you're going to go to a smaller school and dominate there. Some people do that as well. So like you said, just being smart, weighing it out, talking with your parents, talking with the coaches and, and making a smart choice. Um, and, and this leads me to my question. The, this is the, the big topic everyone wants to talk about. For parents, what are the best sports or activities to get your your kids into? So you're thinking it's... It's elementary school, it's fourth grade, fifth grade, and your kid is interested in everything. They're a kid that wants to try anything and everything. What are some sports that pop into your head that you think would be beneficial for them to try? Definitely anything that uh, that has bigger squad, uh, I'd say bigger teams, something that would probably have more, just more people for one, your, your child to make those friends with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd probably say sports. Also, you probably want to avoid as much contact as possible in the, in the early de- uh, developmental years. So football, out of the question until until like maybe a little bit higher up in age. But I'd probably say sports like baseball, maybe soccer. Um, wrestling is actually pretty big up north. And I've, I, I grew up with wrestling. It's not that bad of a sport. And it's and although it is full contact, I will say that it's it, it's not. Yeah, it's like not that. UFC fighting. A lot of parents think that wrestling and and MMA are are one and the same. In wrestling, you might get unlucky and get dropped on your head once or twice. Yeah, but, but you're that's not a very freak accident. It's like getting hit with a baseball in in baseball. Mm-hmm. Freak accident. Yep. Yeah, agreed. And what's funny about baseball is that I think I think you get hit more. In your younger years, you know, if you're if you're up to bat and you're getting hit by pitches, you're probably getting hit by pitches a lot more when you're younger because the pitchers are just bad. Yeah, <laughs> you and actually you're get hit less. Is that that ball is probably up. at thirty miles per hour versus ninety miles per hour? Yep, and I mean it's it still feels like ninety miles an hour probably when you're when you're the a little kid. kid. <laughs> yeah, but you know when you're that young, you can also just shake it off too, so much easier. Yeah. Kids are so resilient when they're young. Oh, agreed. Yeah, and I, I I think we talked about it, playing playing multiple sports. Let your kids do everything. I think anything that they're interested in early, early, just let them do it. I know there's the stereotypical things a lot of people do, like soccer and karate, and then, and then you're done. You never play sports anymore. But if they show some interest, even if it's out there, if it's something that you're not into. I mean, I play disc golf a lot on weekends. Disc golf is quickly growing. There's no... 
there's no downside to it. You're basically just hiking and throwing plastic in the woods. If they show an interest in tennis or golf, even if it's an individual sport, I think you made a great point about joining teams, right? I, I think if you if you have a kid that wants to get into golf or wants to get into tennis, joining a youth group and not just feeling like you have to be the personal coach for your kid is really, really important. Finding someone that knows what they're doing and also they can be with like-minded kids because not everyone, uh, one, one of our good friends, he's he bowled on his high school bowling team. You don't meet a lot of kids in middle school that want to be a professional bowler. But you know where you can go to do that? Bowling alley. <laughs> so joining groups. Uh, the second thing I have for parents, and we touched on it already, so we don't need to talk a ton, is just communicating. Just please be open with everybody. Be open with your kids. Be open with the coaches. Be open with the teachers. Get your coaches in contact with your teachers and get your coaches in contact with the other coaches because if a season bleeds over, if your team does better than they expected to do, you might run into the next the next season for a sport. And getting stuff, uh, finding those conflicts early on is, is key. I, I want to touch on just, yeah, communication is very much key. Um, and this is something that I want to attest to. My, my parents had me at 20 and 22, respectively. So they were pretty young when they had us. Yeah. So I grew up with kids as parents. And I got to see firsthand the sacrifices that my parents made for me and my, my brothers in order for us just to, to thrive as a family and do all the things that we could do. And then on top of that, to do all they did for us to make sure we excelled in those sports, you know, the, the, the private tutors, the personal coaches, keeping us out of everything. Uh, if you're a parent and you're watching this, even though me, myself, I'm not a parent, what I have seen from, again, my parents growing up, because I, I watched my parents grow up into the parents they are today. What I would argue is, is don't try to be your kid's friend. I know that might suck to hear, but I have a great relationship with both my parents now, and they were my parents until I became an adult. I think that if you want to have the best relationship you can with your parents, and if you're doing sports, kind of like how we did, you're going to have to sit down one day and have a talk with your kid. They're not going to necessarily be thrilled to have. But you need to be able to do that because at the end of the day, these are kids we're talking about. You got to have mm -hmm. that connection with them or else, you know, all this is for nothing. Yeah, you have to build that respect and that rapport. I love how you went right into my next point, right? So I, I, I said, as a parent, be ready to go all in. Prepare as if your child is going to be the best at their respective sport or sports. I think I, I look as a music example, Billie Eilish, her and her brother Phineas when they told their parents that they wanted to do music professionally early high school, they said, okay, we're going to, we're going to put some stuff on some credit cards. We're going to get you guys every single thing that you need to succeed. If you, if you want to get trained in music producing, if you want to get a private voice instructor, if you want to do all these things, we're going to do it. However, you need to reciprocate that, right? Your parents said, all right, you know what, Braden, if, if you really want to be good at this, if, you, if football is going to be your thing, we're going to get you in contact with nutritionists and make sure you're on a good weight program and make sure that you're staying on top of your grades. And I'm sure that there were some not great conversations that you had to have along those lines. There were days as a kid where you don't understand why you have to go do this extra weight session when everyone has been telling you how good you already are. 
but then you look back retrospectively as an adult and you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm really glad that they were hard on me in that moment because me as a kid, I would have just walked away. The greatest takeaway I have from my, my childhood is that anything that I've done is nothing worse that I've gone through growing up. So because of sports, because of the trials and tribulations I had with not only my coaches, but with my parents, uh, I can look at a lot of the hardships that I have now as an adult and say, you know what? Growing up, this was nothing. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to push on and do what I have to do as an adult because of what I went through as, as a child. So, you know, I definitely say, man, it's if you want, if you uh, just communicate with your communicate with your kids, man. Yeah. And th- the best th- thing there's no do. I mean, kids are going to make mistakes, right? We're all going to make mistakes. We're going to be dumb. We're going to. We're going to do dumb things. We're going to throw a temper tantrum at a coach at some point. And, and those are all learning experiences. I think, I think athletics are a great, a great medium to make those mistakes. We've all been there and it, it might seem minor to us and we laugh it off as adults, but when your kids in first grade and they just started soccer and they turned around and kicked the ball into their own net, their world was completely crushed and everyone was laughing at them, but that's such a good teaching moment. Because those kids learn from that experience. Guess what? They're not going to kick it at their own net anymore. And at the time, they just weren't thinking. But it's a great learning experience. And my last thing I have for the parents is try to see things from a coach's perspective in regards to playing time. I know that that's really hard. And trust me, as someone that's been a coach, and I know that you've done some as well, not everyone can play. If you're if if you're a softball player and you can only have – nine people on that field, but you've got 15 to 20 people on the team, there's going to be times where you're not going to get on the field. And as a student, I feel like I, I understood that more when I was a player than a lot of the parents do. They want their kids to play all the time. And guess what? We see our own kids through rose colored glasses, right? We think our kids are the best and they deserve to play all the time. However, if you're in a tournament setting, that's way different than a regular season game. I'm sorry, but as a coach, you've got to put your best nine out there. And sometimes your kid's not going to be one of the best nine. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Uh, another thing is going through it through the coach's perspective is when you get higher up in, you know, high school, college, everything else, middle school, even, you know, sometimes your performance as a coach isn't reflected on how well you're teaching these kids Unfortunately, it's how well of how well you can win a game. Yeah. And that's probably the worst thing to, to look at it through. That's the unfortunate case with a lot of programs. So, yeah, if I guarantee LeBron James's middle school coach, even if LeBron James was most of his most of his gifts come from AAU ball, and I'm sure his parents did a lot of coaching on their own as well. I bet LeBron James' middle school coach got some pretty easy high school gigs. Oh, yeah. After coaching LeBron and going twenty and zero for three straight seasons with LeBron at the middle school level, so yeah, I mean, if you're a high school football coach, I don't care about playing time. If we can, if we can win some games, I'm going to keep my job and I'm going to keep getting paid. I, I don't care how angry a parent's going to be. I'm going to put the best kids on the field. Yeah, because unfortunately, uh, it's kind of funny how we were talking about our friend Charlie or our friend the other day and is he, he was the player's coach for his league. He still yeah. got scrapped. Yep. 
So even though that the unfortunate case or the unfortunate reality of it is, is that you could be the best coach ever. And if you aren't performing, if you aren't producing, you're going to get canned. Let it be known. We're talking about a video game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was. <laughs> but hey, look, be, it, uh, the, Charlie would be a heck of a coach, man. I think, I think, I think Charlie, he'd be good at it, man. Be a great man right there. Um, Oh, I, I, I forgot. I'd say I was going to delve into it. We're at 36 minutes. We usually keep it at 30, but it's fine. We're hanging out, right? Uh, yeah, so I, I, I um, th- this is how I became a music teacher. I think you've heard this story before, but people always ask, you know, why'd you end up being a music teacher? Was that always the plan? No, it wasn't the plan. I mean, when I was in middle school and in freshman year of high school, I all I wanted to do was, was be an athlete. And um, I'll, if you're not familiar with what an Oklahoma drill is at home, they don't do these anymore. Probably, probably a good idea. Um, Unless you're in the great states of Texas and Louisiana, <laughs> baby. <laughs> exactly. You put them out there in July and let them butt heads. Big meaty men slapping meat, as they would say in wrestling. Oh, so yeah. um, you basically do two lines of cones and both players start on their back. You've got a ball carrier and a tackler. And since I played tight end, I was a ball carrier. And you basically, you you're, head to head. So you're laying down, your heads are facing each other. Some people start on their chest and you get a pop up. Everyone does it a little different, but regardless, once you're standing, the goal is to get to your feet and run at each other as hard as you can. The ball carrier is supposed to, you have to stay within the cones. If, if you're the ball carrier and you intentionally go out of the cones, guess what? You're doing it again against a new guy with fresh legs. And so we sprung up. I was going against our, our best linebacker. He's a kid, Josh Allen. He was, Clearly the best player, not the Josh Allen in the NFL, either of them. Uh, but he ended up going, and he's in the Army. He's doing great now. And I kind of went to juke around him, and he tackled me kind of off to the side. And I came down straight down on one of those small orange cones, little hard ones, not the soft springy ones that most of the coaches use today. But Hard plastic. I, yeah, hard plastic. No give to those things. And I basically sat down on it, and it uh, disconnected my my tailbone from the rest of my spine. And I didn't know it at the time. I figured it was bruised and my mom was a nurse. And so she was like, yeah, you probably bruised your tailbone sucks. And so it just kept hurting. And I played for a couple more weeks and like, then the season ended and the, um, and I wasn't playing near the end of the season cause it was hurting. And so whatever. And a couple months go by and we go see a doctor finally. And the doctor's like, yeah, you messed up your tailbone pretty bad. It's like completely sideways. Yeah. And so they had to take some cartilage out of there and pushed it back into place. And it was embarrassing. I had to go and sit at school with a pillow. And and that's the summer that I moved. School ended. The su- and then I moved down to Florida. And I wasn't going to be able to be cleared for contact sports for probably another year. So I turned from sports to music and uh, really just moved from one passion to another. And even though I, was, I, I loved music and I loved sports, I was able to focus all of my energy towards the music band and chorus and um I was in show choir and helping out with the theater department and stuff. And I just kind of fell in love with that. And here we are. Where'd you, where'd sports end up taking you? I'm an electrician now. <laughs> you know, I thought, I thought I'd, I'd be in the NFL. I'm not going to lie with the height and stature I have, but yep. unfortunately that just wasn't big man upstairs plans. Now here yeah, I am but 26 I... Prince's electrician trying to get my electrical license, my electrical license. Listen, man, that pays. And that's that's an industry that you can move up and up and up. It feels like it's just unlimited potential to move up. 
which is cool. goal is just to work for yourself, really. Yeah, if you can make your own hours and have people call you up and just ask you to do things. I know my grandfather on my dad's side is a, a locksmith, and he used to work for the hospital. And but his favorite thing is just when he can go do some freelance work and and you know people call him up and they're locked out of stuff and he's the best locksmith on the on the southern side of Maine. I'm sure, there's some some hicks up in the north side that can that can break into stuff better, but. <laughs> He, he loves it, man, and he's good at his job. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's the biggest thing, man. If, if you can find something, regardless if it's sports, art, or even just a trade, if you can find something that, you're, that you at least enjoy doing and it makes you happy, go ahead and chase it. Agreed. Like, just chase your passions. And like I said, you're if you're a parent, let your kids explore it, right? But make sure that you as a parent are prepared to go all in. If they become hyper fixated on it and that's all they want to do, don't don't squash it. Let them be the ones that get sick of it. Don't don't pull them out too early because there's way too many kids that start something. And because it's too much time commitment or money for the parents, they refuse. They, they just pull them out. There are programs that you can get your kids into that they can find some supplemental money somewhere. It They're always willing to make it work. I promise. And I guarantee you, man, there are families out there that just want to see their kids grow and they do it. They do it. The amount of the amount of people that we would have. This is growing up in Pee Wee. We were doing Pop Warner. I remember the amount of kids that we'd have stay at our house that whole entire weekend because Mm -hmm. they didn't. We wouldn't have them for the game that weekend. It goes a lot. So, I mean. Everywhere you go, you're going to find pillars of community that are willing to help in times of need. Don't yeah, be afraid. And, to, and, and sometimes you never know what it'll come from either. So anyway, that'll do for episode five. Episode six, we're talking some friendships. We talked a, lot, a little about it today and we'll circle back to, you know, how athletics and clubs can can help with building friendships. But um, especially if you're if you're the new kid in school, which both of us got the pleasure of being the new kid at, at school at some point. I think um, friendships are something that are they're hard to find and even hard to manage once you find them at the elementary school, middle, high school. What do you do when those friendships are changing? So that'll be episode six. As a reminder, episodes drop every Monday, 6 a.m., bright and early. That way you can get your work week started if you're a teacher, you know, student, or even a parent sending your kid off and you can finally have your coffee and breathe, right? Definitely. Any, uh, any final words for the people? Uh, all that I have to say is, is that if you're listening, to, if you're listening to this, you made it this far. I just hope that you take what we say, you take our opinions, and you just dwell them a little bit. Maybe they don't influence your life, maybe they don't. But in everything that you do, whether you're a parent, teacher, coach, student, watching this, just do everything you can with the just the light of the world. Anything that you do, try to find happiness in it. Just well be said, my friend. Peace and love, everyone, and uh, have a good one.